0: No redesigns. Where are our redesigns? Where are our Thanos snapped half-size bezels? Where's our Face ID? Where's our thin iPad Pro design? Just all of those things—things things that have been rumored over the course of the last year. I'm Rene Ritchie, and welcome back. You had—you had just so many questions about the new M1 Apple Silicon Mac. So many questions. You wanted the truth, and I'm here to give you just as much truth as you can handle. As always, questions from patreon.com slash Richie have priority. But if I don't get your question in this video, or if you have additional follow-up questions, just hit that subscribe button and bell so you can be notified when the next video goes live. And I'll hang out with you in the comments for the first hour and chat. I know a lot of people looked at Big Sur and the more spacious interface, the interface that looked more like iPad OS and thought it just has to be a precursor of touchscreen Macs, of Apple sort of spending that time in the desert and refactoring elements of Mac OS to be more touch first and finger centric than they've previously been. And to some extent, that's true, but it looks like touchscreen Macs if they come at all, are further in the future. And I only say if they come at all because Apple still says they're not doing them. As recently as this week, Craig Federiki addressed the issue. He was asked about Big Sur being, looking more like a touch-centric interface. And he just said, no, we just wanted this new, more spacious design for the Mac. And it has nothing to do with being touch enabled. Uh, personally though, you know, or historically, Uh, If we look back, Apple has always said they will never do something right until the moment they announce it. Uh, Steve Jobs was famous for this. We are never doing uh, an iPod with video and then he announces the iPod video. We're never doing a phone and then he announces the iPhone. We are uh, never gonna make a small tablet and then they announce the iPad mini. And in some cases, he was planning to do it all along. He just didn't want to spoil it. And in other cases, people like Phil Schiller and Eddie Q really changed his mind on it. And I imagine that's always the case at Apple. They are focused, laser focused on what they're doing now. And either, you know, they don't want to talk about what they're doing next or their mind will be changed and they will finally agree to do next. From my point of view, I think increasingly as this new generation of computer users grows up, any display that's not touch enabled is just gonna seem broken to them. I mean, anyone who's grown up in the age of the iPhone and the iPad is just gonna expect that a display will respond to their touch. And if it doesn't, it'll just feel like a dead display to them. So this could also be something like we saw with the ARM transition, where at first we have these catalyst beta apps, and then we have official catalyst beta apps. And then the next year, we have the transition to Apple Silicon. This could very much be that where one year we have this more spacious design and Apple's still not talking about it. And the next year we see more signs of it. And then a year after that, suddenly we have touchscreen max and looking back, it all makes total sense. So long story already far too long, no touch screens yet. Apple's still saying no touch screens, but for me at least, I'm hoping the future is super promising. Ian Blackburn, what about eGPU support? Would that even work? The short answer is no. The medium length answer is that Apple is only currently supporting Apple GPUs on Apple Silicon Macs, and there is just no uh, support for any additional GPUs. And since Apple doesn't make external GPUs, there is no support for external GPUs, at least at this time. And whether Apple decides to make their own eGPUs or there's some sort of architecture for adding additional GPUs, I think that's super interesting. That's probably later in the transition cycle when we start to get to things like the Mac Pro or maybe even post-transition. Jeffrey David Maraccini on Patreon, hope I pronounced your name right, Jeffrey. Let me know. Is there any indication of throttling for the M1 equipped MacBook Air? My fanless 12 inch MacBook throttled hard at times. So excellent question. So the way it works is that first the SOC, the M1 itself will handle as much uh, heat as it can. And that will go into the aluminum heat spreader that's in the MacBook Air. And when that starts to max out, it'll go to the actual aluminum casing, the chassis of the MacBook Air. And only at the point where that starts to hit maximum temperature, will the processor start to throttle down. But the whole point of the MacBook Air and it being um, fanless is that it's for people who are willing to trade the sustained performance for the quiet. And I keep making this joke, it's like parents, you know, we don't want anything else, we just want quiet. So. If maximum sustained performance is your thing, you're gonna definitely wanna look at the MacBook Pro. But if being utterly silent, having that no fan design is important to you, then yes, you're giving up some sustained performance. I think throttling in general has been massively misunderstood. I think it was just completely poorly, badly reported for years by people who knew how to download and press a button on a benchmark and sort of parrot everything else they heard on the internet, but really didn't understand how modern silicon works at all. And now everyone is paranoid about throttling, but processors have always, always been heat managed. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You just have to choose the right trade-off for the workload that you want. And that might be the MacBook Air, but it also might be something like the Mac Pro. Aziz Rahman on Patreon why have they maxed out the RAM at 16 gigabytes and the hard drive at two terabytes? And this is also a really, really common question. And I think there's just this huge misconception, this really weird, I don't wanna say mass hallucination, but mass selective memory for people who are in the tech space, primarily like tech Twitter, tech YouTube, is that we all tend to buy the higher end of things and forget about the lower end but the MacBook Air and MacBook Pro that these models are replacing only ever had up to 16 gigabytes of RAM and up to two terabytes of disk storage. And even that, the disk storage part is relatively new. If you go back to 2016, when Apple introduced what I'll call the current design generation of the MacBook Pro, they introduced this weird hybrid. But we challenged our team to take this new design, this 13-inch MacBook Pro, and could they make a model that would be really exciting for customers who would traditionally pick a MacBook Air. They kept that around, that first generation went around for a while and then replaced it with a touch bar version that still only had two ports. And that version has always maxed out at 16 gigabytes. And I think recently went up to two terabytes. So what Apple did with these two machines was make identical replacements just using the M1 chip because the M1 chip is ideally suited to replace these machines. And the reason for the constraint on both those original Intel machines and the new M1 Apple Silicon machines is LP DDR4, low power DDR4 memory. Apple uses their own special, even slightly more ultra efficient version, which I think they call LP DDR4X. And both on the Intel machines and apparently on the new M1 machines, that's just limited to 16 gigabytes right now, which is why those original Macs had that limit. Apple has gone higher on the higher end Macs, but it's done it by dropping the low power and going straight to DDR4 RAM and just sucking it up and putting more battery into the machine to compensate for it. But those original machines and these machines were meant to be at the ultra low power end of the spectrum. The story here is just battery life, battery life, battery life. And even more than the Intel versions, these Apple Silicon, these M1 versions prioritize battery life. And I think that's the big part of the story that keeps getting lost is that yes, there are only two ports and yes, there's only 16 gigabytes of RAM maximum, uh, but that is identical to the Intel machines. What is different is that the performance by all indications is so much better and the battery life by all indications is just so, so, so much better that there's really no comparison. The limits on one end are the same and the limits on the other end are just being shattered. For the Mac mini, it's a little more interesting because Apple used to have an inexpensive entry-level Mac mini. And then more recently, I think 2018, they replaced that with the current Intel Mac mini, which went to space gray. It switched from silver to space gray to show that it was meant to be more pro. And it did have those higher end specs, including much higher RAM limits. But this Mac mini is silver again. And I think that's meant to show that this is very much a consumer version and that it is using the same M1 chip Uh, limited absolutely in the RAM and in the storage capacity, but it's doing this at a hundred bucks less to sort of reintroduce that entry-level lower-end Mac mini. And then I expect uh, sometime next year when Apple introduces the next level chips, like theoretically an M1X chip that's gonna go into the higher-end MacBook Pros and probably the lower end iMacs that there'll also be a new Mac Mini, a new M1X uh, or whatever Apple calls it, Mac Mini that will get the space gray color back and will fit exactly, will be an exact replacement for the Intel Mac Mini that Apple is currently still selling. Uh, And I think that's the biggest clue here is that Apple is currently still selling it because it is not meant to be a replacement. The same way they're currently still selling the Intel version of the higher end 13-inch MacBook Pro because the M1 version is not meant to be a replacement for that machine, at least not yet. Joshua Gonzalez Neal on Patreon asks, why did Apple target the MacBooks and Mac mini, but not an iMac? And I think that ties into the question I just answered, which is Apple is focused on, and I don't wanna say just the lower end with the M1 chip, but it is definitely the lower end. Apple has said repeatedly that they sell far more laptops than they sell desktops. And the MacBook Air is by far the best-selling laptop. So in a way, this was the tactically sound move because Apple is only replacing the lowest end of Intel. And it really shows the differentiation that they can achieve on that end. But it is also the most popular of their computers. So it's showing that they are confident enough to risk the most popular computer in their lineup just straight out of the gate. But yeah, it also, does mean that the higher-end machines, the machines that are more pro, that are more powerful, are now waiting on, again, the M1X or whatever Apple calls that next level up, that next step up uh, Apple Silicon system on a chip. Ted Moyman on Patreon says, will the performance of the chip be different in the Mac Mini because it has no battery? Is the chip different because of this? And no, it is, at least according to Apple, exactly the same M1 system on a chip in all of these new Macs, in the new MacBook Air, new MacBook Pro, and the new Mac mini. It's exactly the same, including the clock speeds. You can get a lower end version in the MacBook Air with seven GPUs instead of eight GPUs. But other than that, every one of those CPU cores, every one of those GPU cores, the neural engine, all the IP blocks, all of it is just exactly the the same. The only difference is the thermal management in each of these Macs. So you start off with no fan in the MacBook Air, which means that it'll have the same burst performance. So launching apps, opening web pages, all that sort of things, things that need instant responsiveness, that will all be the same. But things that require sustained performance, things like transcoding video or compiling code, anything that uses those chips for long periods of time. Uh, Sort of like the question I answered at the beginning, because there's no fan, the MacBook Air will eventually ramp down and ramp down harder because the only thing it can do to manage the heat is step down the processor where the MacBook Pro, which has a fan, which has active cooling, it can dissipate heat better so that it can keep doing that workload longer. And the Mac Mini, because it has such a bigger thermal envelope, it's just a much bigger box, and it has active cooling, Apple says that it can just sustain unlimited. You know, it's just that the M1 in the Mac Mini can perform at heavy workloads basically forever. So you get the same processor, you get the same instant burst workloads from it. It's just different in how it handles sustained workloads. And I should point out that you might see discrepancies in benchmarks just based on when they're being run and at what point in the sort of temperature power management curve they're hitting the chip at. In the very beginning, they're all gonna have the same peak frequencies. Over time, you will see them vary based entirely on their thermal envelope. Johnny Rocha on Patreon, and again, over pronouncing that correctly. Have there been any updates on emulating Windows? So Apple is no longer supporting bootcamp. So you won't be able to boot into Windows, like dual boot into Windows. Because they're no longer supporting the x86 architecture. What they're doing instead is supporting virtualization. They've got hypervisor acceleration built right into the silicon in the M1 chip. And what that means now is that it's entirely in the court of companies like Parallels and VMware to just deploy solutions that tap into that virtualization support. It's impossible to know how well they'll work. Uh, I'm guessing that because they're not available now instantly, they are still working on it. So it's just a huge open question. But if you are ever going to be able to run the Intel version of Windows on an Apple Silicon Mac, it will be through that hypervisor acceleration. It'll be through virtualization. Joshua Karp on Patreon asks, when do you think Apple Silicon iMacs will come? And that's a super interesting question because when Tim Cook announced the Apple Silicon transition back at WWDC, he said it would take two years, up to two years to complete the transition. And that's exactly what Steve Jobs said when he announced the PowerPC to Intel transition back in 2005, that it would take up to two years. Back then though, it only ended up taking a year. They got all the Macs switched over from PowerPC to Intel in about a year. And it's possible Apple will do that as well. So between last June and next June, we could see the entire line transitioned, but I think Apple likes to give themselves the space to say two years. So between June, 2020 and June, 2022, because it's impossible to know if anything will go wrong. If there'll be any production delays, any issues they have to work around, any component availability they have to deal with. I mean, if 2020 has shown us anything is to under promise and over deliver. So I think it's really prudent to say two years. My guess is though, we'll see the iMac some point next year, at least and especially a lower end iMac, like a 24 inch iMac that leverages the same, what I'm gonna just keep calling an M1X chip that's gonna go into something like a 16 inch MacBook Pro. And if there is something more Pro grade than that, for example, an iMac Pro or what eventually goes into a Mac Pro that could be towards like the very end of the transition the same exact way it was with PowerPC to Intel. Gil Stromberg from Patreon said, "'I found that the Air has a seven and an eight option CPU. So there is an M1 variant." And yeah, absolutely for the MacBook Air and only the MacBook Air, you can choose between seven uh, GPU cores at the lowest end or eight GPU cores at the higher end. The MacBook Pro and the Mac mini only come with the eight GPU core version. And that's interesting because previously, Apple would just use the Intel formula, which was, segmentation based on frequency. And that is just that you would pay more to get higher base frequencies. And I always just imagined Intel sitting there and artificially turning a screwdriver uh, to decide, you know, basically pay us more and we'll give you faster clock speeds. And it's, it's more complicated than that because chips do bin higher and lower and Apple's doing something similar here. So basically when you push out a bunch of chips like this and you test them, some of them aren't gonna be perfect and you can throw away the ones that aren't perfect, but that lowers the yield rates for that chip and increases your cost because you're paying the same amount to get less usable chips out of it. And we saw this with the iPad Pro previously, the original redesigned iPad Pro in 2018 had seven GPU cores because the yield rates on ones that had fully functional, all eight cores fully functional were just really low, but the ones that had at least seven of those cores functional was totally usable. So we got the seven core version that they called the A12X. Then flash forward to early 2020, and the yield rates on that seven nanometer process had increased and they were getting sufficient amounts of chips that had all eight cores, all eight GPU cores fully functional. So that's just all they put into the latest generation iPad Pro. And this is similar, Apple probably had a fair amount of chips that came out with only seven functional GPU cores. And rather than just trash those, reduce their yield and increase their costs, they are making them available as a lower cost option for the MacBook Air. So basically passing on those savings and lowering the cost of entry for the MacBook Air. And I think for people who would buy the lowest cost MacBook Air, it's not gonna make a huge difference because each one of those GPU cores is still absolutely as fast as any other. It's just, you can only max out to seven of them and not eight of them, like you can on the higher end MacBook Air or the MacBook Pro or the Mac mini. So it's an interesting way, it's a new way I think of doing that sort of segmentation, but I think it's probably even better for consumers because regardless of what you pay now, you're still getting the same performance per core, not just on the GPU, but fully functional CPUs across the board and all of them at the same clock speed. So you're no longer penalized on performance just based on what you're paying. Canadian on Patreon asks, Are the chassis the same dimensions? I have a clip on hard shell case with a cool sticker I've been using for my 2018 Air and I'm hoping I can use it on the new Air. They are the same dimensions. Apple lists them as the same dimensions. So that gives me a fairly high degree of confidence that it'll work. Uh, Effectively all they're doing is a chip transplant but I would still wait until the first set of reviews and hands-on and all of that comes out and people can actually test them and make sure there's not any anomalies at all that would prevent its usage. Steven Kaplan on Patreon wants to know how similar is the M1 to the A14 chip? Is it the same chip or is it different and how much different is it? So that's a great question. The way I look at it, uh, what I think it is, I may be wrong, but what I think it is, is basically an A14X Plus. And what I mean by that is it has the same basic silicon IP, the same generation, the same architecture as the A14 but it is similar to what Apple would do in a theoretical A14X that would go into a future iPad Pro. And that is add those extra two high-performance Firestorm CPU cores and those extra four GPU cores that they would typically add to whatever generation of iPad Pro they're releasing. But then the plus part would be the Mac specific stuff. So for example, this the M1 has Thunderbolt, uh, controllers, which you don't find on the A14 version. So again, you take the A14, you add the extra cores, and then the Mac, the the Mac stuff that you need for Macs, but you wouldn't want the overhead for, especially in an iPhone. Robin Harley on Patreon says the 16 gigabyte RAM limit on all of the M1 models sounds constrained. Surely this will limit some applications. Again, the systems that these are replacing, the specific MacBook Air and MacBook Pro that these are replacing already had a 16 gigabyte RAM limit. So for the Mac mini, that's sliding in below the existing Intel Mac mini uh, because it's silver and not space gray. And that's how you can tell it's for consumers and not for pros. And so yes, it is more RAM constrained than the pro models, but it's also not the pro model that I expect we'll see uh, get uh, transitioned next year. But in terms of constraints in general, I think the same thing will be true with Apple Silicon. That was true with those Intel models uh, because of their obsession with low things like uh, low power RAM that they've had to get used to under Intel, which had that same hard limit for the low power versions of things like DDR4 RAM. They've gotten really good at using memory compression. Using things like those ultra fast SSDs for swap that in many cases, certainly not all cases, but in many cases are transparent to the user. Uh, You don't realize you've hit a RAM limit because it's swapping in and out so fast. So I don't think we'll see any difference at all between the exact same Intel models that Apple's now replaced with M1 because the RAM limits are the same and the mitigations that are already in place are the same and are actually really, really good. So that won't and shouldn't be any more concerned today than they were yesterday. It's an open question though, how Apple will support that, that memory, whether they will do what they've done in the Macs and that is suck it up and use the non-low power version and just add battery to make up for the difference because Intel was just never great about supporting the low power RAM with the higher configurations or if they will figure out how to do the low power RAM at higher configurations. Or for things like an eventual Mac Pro, whether they'll figure out some kind of plug-in system, the way you can plug in an Afterburner card, for example, and have maybe even expandable RAM uh, that way. It might never be that. That's just me completely speculating and spitballing. But I know I am, and I'm sure many of us are interested to see just if and how they figure all that out. Tyler Stallman on Twitter and. Hey, Tyler Stallman, if you haven't already, check out his channel. Amazing, amazing photography and videography videos. And Tyler asks, I'm most curious about the performance difference between the three machines. How much does active cooling matter? So I think if your workload is based heavily on documents and web browsing and email and messaging and those sorts of things, you will notice no difference at all because the clock speeds are the same between the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro and the Mac mini. Anything that sort of benefits from those peaks, those bursts, but doesn't require the sustained workloads at all, you'll see no difference. If you are doing things like transcoding large media files or compiling large amounts of code, anything that does require the processor to be lit up for long extended periods of time, I think that's when you'll start to notice, especially the longer those workloads last, the more you'll notice because the MacBook Air will have to eventually ramp down clock speed just to prevent itself from overheating where the MacBook Pro will be able to go longer and the Mac mini will just basically be able to go forever. So if, you, if what you do now today on your Intel Mac or PC or whatever involves the processor, like if you look at your diagnostics and you see the cores maxed out and they stay maxed out for a long period of time, you should definitely look at the MacBook Pro and the Mac Mini. But if you almost never see them stay maxed out, if they burst, if they go up quickly and they go back down, or you know they're never close to the top, uh, you should be absolutely fine on any of them. Matt Fandango on Twitter says, the mini specs page says it can run two displays, one on Thunderbolt, one on HDMI, and that seems strange. Uh, Any clarification, can it run two displays via Thunderbolt? And no, it can't. That is, I wanna say a weird uh, characteristic of the M1 Max. Previously on the exact same Intel models that these M1 models are replacing, you could run up to one 5K display or up to two 4K displays over Thunderbolt. And then also one up to 4K display with an HDMI adapter, a Thunderbolt to HDMI adapter. With the new M1 Max, the highest level has gone up. You can now run up to one of Apple's 6K Pro Display XDRs off of Thunderbolt, but you can no longer run two 4K displays. You can only run one 4K display. And if you wanna run an additional one, you have to do it over that Thunderbolt to HDMI adapter and over HDMI 2.0. And that is just strange, quirky, and probably just the result of the architectural choices they had to make either to support the Pro Display XDR or uh, just in general for the chipset. And yeah, it kind of does suck, but I have a feeling that people who are running two displays are probably doing it on higher end machines. And that makes me hopeful that when we see whatever Apple calls the M1X, the more powerful processor that will go into the 16-inch MacBook Pro, the higher end 13-inch MacBook Pro, the Space Gray Mac Mini, the 24-inch iMac, all of those sorts of machines. I'm hopeful that will restore multiple display functionality. And I also think that, people who normally would totally ignore. And we've seen that people totally ignored these Macs because they didn't realize 16 gigabyte Macs still existed. People who ignored those machines are now paying attention to them only because they're the first M1 machines and are considering them only because they're the first M1 machines and not the higher end Macs that they would typically buy. So I would just urge anyone not to buy these just because they're M1. I mean, if they do the work you want, that's fantastic. But if you have specific requirements that they don't meet, I would just wait till Apple puts out the next set, the next M series set of Macs and look to see if those are one, more analogous to the Macs you're already using, the Intel Macs you're already using. And two, if they just way, way better suit your current workloads. Jordan Kennedy on Twitter says, do the four high performance and four high efficiency cores work at the same time together or is it just one set at a time? That's also a terrific question because originally with Apple's fusion architecture, the one that they debuted with the A10, I believe in the iPhone 7, they were literally fused together. And that's what gave us the name uh, A10 Fusion. You had one efficiency and one performance core that would work in tandem. But since we went to the bionic architecture, since we went to the A11 bionic, those were sort of separated out. So now any combination, any number of cores can be used just as a performance controller deems necessary. So the more work you throw at them, the more cores they will respond with. Kent Arnsbarger, and again, forgive me if I'm mutilating these names, on Twitter says, will the RAM be upgradable by me in the mini? Same RAM as the 2018. No, Uh, once you go to an SOC, once you go to a system on a chip, in this case, the RAM is on that chip. So there's no way to change it in any way, any more than you can change the CPU or GPU or neural engine. What you buy is what you get. Uh, Apple has done some off chip RAM, I believe in iPads previously, but even that would have to be connected to the chip in such a way that you wouldn't be able to change it. If Apple could figure out a way to make the RAM separate, it might be really ugly. Like it might just destroy the benefits of unified memory entirely, or maybe they can do something super clever. Like I mentioned earlier, maybe they could have a modular system that lets you plug it in and it just handles all of that. But I don't think that's ever been done before. And that would be, I would think at least a major breakthrough. So never give up all hope, but I wouldn't hold to hope in this anyway. I think Apple is definitely looking at the computer appliance part of the market and just letting other vendors handle the modular part entirely, which I know sucks for anybody, just really, really sucks for anybody who does love the Mac and wants to get in there and change things around. But it's the future Apple's chosen for themselves and the one that they think is gonna be best for their customers. And certainly they've put all of their money where that mentality is. Adarsh V on Twitter says, will the video feed from the same old potato cameras be significantly better due to the new ISP? And yes, it will be significantly better in terms of the final output the same way that an iPhone camera or iPad camera is significantly better uh, in terms of what it produces than the camera itself would ever allow. You are still dealing with a 720p camera. So just the amount of data that it pulls in is limited by that. And those by the way are limited by the thinness of the lid Apple just wants these really thin lids on these designs and maybe a future design if they put in a true depth camera for face ID, which I really, really hope they will, You know, even if they have to put in a, a camera bump or not, or whatever, I'll take anything at this point. But you know, in the future they might change and give us better cameras, but for now they didn't wanna change the designs at all. Uh, so we are stuck with exactly the same cameras because we're stuck with exactly the same lids and they are using all the computational power of that ISP, which is the same computational power as the A14 ISP in the iPhone 12 series. So it is no joke. And I think we'll be surprised at how good these cameras are given the physical glass involved. But I think everyone will still hope Uh, and really push for better glass in future versions of these products. Aaron on Twitter wants to know, I'd love to know your thoughts on why they didn't do any new industrial design. And my understanding is that Apple wanted to focus on just doing the heart transplant, taking the Intel CPUs and integrated graphics out of the existing Mac lineup and replacing that, specifically that with the new M1 Apple Silicon chips and this is very much what they did with the intel to power pc transition as well they just replaced the power pc chips with intel chips in the existing design over the course of that transition and then they started introducing the new designs now cynically you can look at that and say apple just doesn't want to give it all away at once you know some people will be enticed to buy based on Apple Silicon alone, but others will be enticed to buy based on the redesign. And so they can space that out and get sort of two bites at the Apple. But I think pragmatically, uh, especially because Apple still focuses on these small teams who do one thing at a time, they do it as well as they can do it, and then they move on, that it just is far more practical to only worry about the chipset transition at first. That way, the existing designs are a known target. They have exactly the parameters that they need to build for. They don't have to worry about new casings, problems with the new casings, unforeseen consequences of the new casings. They can just take what is known, what is established, what they have rock solid data for, and just focus on getting the chipsets into there. It's the difference between shooting an arrow into a target and shooting an arrow into another arrow at a moving target. You know, that then both arrows have to hit that moving target. So I am super disappointed about it as well. I've been dying for the you know fourteen inch MacBook Pro, for uh, a Mac Mini that's the size of an Apple TV, all of those things but this was very much just a focus on the Apple Silicon this time. And then I expect the transition to follow through with the existing designs and then Apple to start introducing new designs once we get past the transition. So this is the official start internally of the next generation of Macs and that'll be the official start externally. Mohammed Hafsa asks, does it come with a charger? And well played, (laughs) well played. Yes, all of the Macs come with a, well, I believe the Mac mini has always plugged into a wall directly. It doesn't have a discrete cable and plug system because it's not a portable. You just plug it in and leave it in. And if I'm remembering that wrong, just let me know in the comments. But if you go to the tech spec page for either one of the MacBooks, the Air or the Pro, and you scroll down, you'll get a beautiful picture of everything that comes in the box. And that includes a 30 watt charger for the MacBook Air and a, I think it's a 61 watt charger for the MacBook Pro. David Horneck, and I know I pronounced that wrong, so apologies, on Twitter says, did Apple just remove the fan on purpose from the Air so there's a bigger difference between the Air and the Pro? They are too similar now. And yes, but I don't think in the way you're implying, I think since Apple introduced the 12-inch MacBook, which had no fan, they've there's been this market for whisper quiet, highly portable, ultralight MacBooks. And since they discontinued that 12 inch MacBook, instead of replacing that, at least so far, they've pushed the air more into that niche and they couldn't do it previously because the Intel chipset they needed to drive it at at least approaching acceptable performance levels required a fan in that chassis. There was just no way to maintain its performance without a fan, but because the M1, the Apple Silicon is so much more efficient, they can now maintain that performance level. They can have a better performance level without needing a fan. So instead of creating an artificial difference, they are creating more options. They are giving people more options because there are absolutely people who do not need those levels of sustained performance and in a heartbeat would trade that for just never having to hear a fan again. And then there are people who may not love hearing a fan, but are willing to put up with it to get those higher performance those higher sustained performance levels. And both of them now have a choice. Neither of them are just sitting there being all pissed off all day. Rishi O on Twitter says, what does the M stand for? If it's Mac, then I guess we won't see it in the iPad. And yes, it's Mac. I think for a while now, not with the A series because that was first, but for a while now, we've seen Apple just be very hyper literal about the names. We got the original M series, which was the motion processor, the sensor fusion hub, that was eventually just integrated away into the A series. And then we got like the W series for wireless, which is now exclusive to the Apple Watch and the S series for system in package, which is also exclusive. Well, not exclusive anymore. It started with the Apple Watch and is now also in the HomePod mini. And then we got the H series for headphones, which is in the AirPods and AirPods Pro. So Apple seems to really like the idea of matching the letter to the purpose of the silicon. And we won't see it in the iPad because there's no need to. The iPads use the A series the same as the iPhones and a theoretical A14X would be nearly identical to an M1. It just wouldn't have the Mac specific stuff like the Thunderbolt controllers, like the hypervisor support, like the Rosetta support that you don't need on an iPad. So they are siblings, absolutely very similar, architecture, IP generation, all of that. It's just better to have those small amounts of specificity where you need them. Arvid on Twitter says, no U1 chip, and no, no you one chip. And it would have been nice just to have in terms of aiming airdrop, absolutely. Uh, and for the laptops, theoretically, a find my network improvement that really ties into those. For things like car keys, you know, you're never gonna carry your Mac mini around and use that to unlock your BMW and turn it on. So I would have loved to see it. I am bummed that we didn't see it. And I do hope that we see it on the higher end on what I'm just gonna keep calling the M1X chipset until Apple names it otherwise. John Collins asks, how well will M1 hardware run legacy Intel apps, worthless or fine? And we'll have to wait till we start seeing the early reviews trickle in to know for sure, but Apple is being supremely confident about this. And they've said outright that if the Intel apps leverage metal, if they rely on metal, they will even outperform in some cases, those exact same apps, running natively on Intel, they'll be better on emulation on Apple Silicon than they will be on Intel. And if Apple's doing any sort of other, uh, I don't wanna call it magic, but if they're being really clever with how the IP works, if there's any Rosetta specific IP in these chipsets, then we could well see performance that well exceeds our expectations, at least in a lot more apps than might otherwise be the case. So again, I don't wanna get my hopes up. I wanna expect the worst and be pleasantly surprised. But just based on the way that Apple's been acting lately, I think a lot of people are in for a lot of pleasant surprises. Chris Small on Twitter says, how are iOS device apps gonna work on Mac with their touch controls? And Apple, they just have done the heavy lifting to work, to surface menu bars, to make them work with mouse pointers. And it may well depend on the app and how, touch-centric the app is. Catalyst is probably not a perfect analogy because Catalyst required some work to make them optimized. But I think in terms of what Apple did to automate, to handle a lot of the heavy lifting for Catalyst, they're just gonna leverage for iOS and iPadOS apps and the basic translation stuff will all just work. Now, if I didn't get to your question in this video, or if you have any additional questions at all, you can join my members only discord at patreon.com slash or just hit that subscribe button and bell so that you're notified when the next video goes live. And I'll make sure I hang with you in the comments and chat for the first hour or so. For a ton more though, for a ton more on Apple Silicon Macs, click on the playlist above. I'm doing in-depth analysis reviews just everything and lots more to come so click on that playlist and i'll see you next video